HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. Hello, welcome to Japan Needs. I'm your host, Aki Kotayama, a food writer and director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from Brooklyn, New York. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is Frederic Panayotis, and who is the chef de cup or cellar master of Renard. Renard is the oldest champagne producer that was founded in 1729. And you may wonder why Japanese has a champagne master as a guest, but champagne goes well with many different types of cuisines, including Japanese food. But it's not the only reason why Frederick is here. He has a deep understanding of Japanese culture and he's fluent in Japanese, including the Osaka dialect. So today <laughs> we'll discuss how Frederick got into Japanese culture, how he became the cellar master of the world famous Champagne House, how he paired Japanese food with champagne, how climate change is affecting champagne production, and much, much more. But before we start, Japan Eats is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whichever you listen to, and subscribe to Japan Eats. And please write a review. We truly appreciate your feedback. Now, let's start our conversation with Frederick Panayotis. Hello, Frederick. Welcome to the show. Bonjour. Hello. <laughs> hey, so, so cool. You're calling from uh, the Champagne region. That's very cool. So, to get to know you, uh, where are you from, and what did you eat when you grew up? Hmm, so, I was I was born and raised uh, in in Reims, in Champagne, uh, with a family partly in the vineyards. What did I eat? I ate my uh, delicious mom's food, um, a lot of vegetables that we would uh, that she would, you know, uh, even uh, uh, keep for the winter, you know, like in uh, in jars. So um, healthy, 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 but very little fish, I have to say. 
Mm. Right. Well, that's interesting. You, your DNA is in champagne. I mean, I didn't say you start drinking champagne early, but <laughs> it's the whole nature. You're surrounded by that very um, culturally rich um, vision. So, wow, that's amazing. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, yeah, I was. You know, this is this is my uh, my hometown, and uh, and when I when I grew up, I. Ne- didn't necessarily want it to be a winemaker, although I um, I used to harvest at my grandparents' place when I was a, when I was a kid and when I was a teenager. Uh, but but I love the ocean, so my idea was to get away from here. But eventually, I ending um, ended up uh, finding a job in this in this region, and I fell in love with the product as well. Mm, right. So you had to see the world first and came back to where you're supposed to be. I, I think it's like a destiny. So, and then when we met at the Reno dinner event that was host, uh, hosted in New York, and uh, my jaw dropped when you spoke to me in fluent Japanese, and uh, it was the last thing I expected from the person engaged in the most French occupation, <laughs> making champagne. So tell us about your relationship with Japan, and when and how did you get involved in Jap- Japan and Japanese culture? Well, first, uh, Akiko-san, I have to say uh, I am not fluent uh, in Japanese. I can do a little bit, but... but um, mm, that's demo, the modesty uh, of Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, my, my, I, I started to uh, be interested in Japan a long time ago. I, I initially wanted to uh, raise fish. And, uh, and part of... Uh, uh, I mean, a lot of experience could be gained going to Japan. So when I was um, studying uh, in Paris uh, agronomy, I, I took a few months of Japanese, really, you know, fell in love with, uh, with the language, but didn't go any further than that. Many years later, a long story made short, um, I went to Japan for uh, work. Uh, at the time, I was not uh, with Ruinard, but I was working with uh, Veuve Clicquot. And uh, my first trip to Japan was very memorable, uh, maybe not in the best way, because I felt so lost. Uh, although I had, you know, taken a little bit of Japanese before, I couldn't understand anything. So I got very frustrated. And I, and I understood that if I wanted to come back and, and, uh, and get uh, a better experience, I had, to, I had to learn the language. So upon returning back, I decided to uh, get serious and took lessons, private lessons with a, with a Japanese teacher here in Champagne for about five years. And, uh, and then I made many, many, many trips because uh, next month I'll be doing my 41st uh, trip to Japan, wow. and so little, little by little, I, I, I think I got to, um, you know, know to speak a little bit, and and and, but more importantly, understand the culture uh, even more. Mm. Well, what really interests me, I heard you studied biology and fisheries, right? So, um, is that like a biological knowledge? I mean, knowledge in biology probably helps to make good champagne. I think, right? It. Actually, it does. I think, you know, there's, I think there's two elements about making wine. Um, and, but they're not opposite. So one of them, and that's the way I see it, uh, is a lot about science. And, you know, agronomy, the science of soils, science of, uh, um, you know, biology and biochemistry. So, so you need physics, mathematics even, you know, you would be surprised. But, but all, those, uh, all those technical fields help you to, I think, 
understand some of the things that happening when you transform grapes into wine, uh, help you to improve yourself uh, because uh, you can plan some experiments and learn from them and, and try to become better every year. And the other part uh, is more about creation, intuition, uh, sensation, feelings, and you need both. I think you really need both to, especially for the champagne where blending is so important. I think, I think it's the combination of those uh, skills uh, that that makes you, I think, uh, a chef de cap. Mm, right. That's interesting. Well, it sounds mm. like you have to use uh, all parts of your brain. I don't know, like left or right brain things. Is yeah, really yeah, yeah, correct. <laughs> Absolutely. No, no. You do need you do need left and right brain to uh, to do this job. I think. I mean, you could do it with you know, only I don't know, like one or the other. But I think it's much more powerful if you if you can use both. Mm. Right. So I'm sure that not just Japan, but you have to travel throughout the world, right? So. Um, Maybe you don't have to talk only about Japan, but uh, what's the impression of traveling through the world? And uh, what do you learn or get a takeaway and then reflect in, you know, such a very complicated process of champagne making? Well, what I like uh, about traveling is um, it's, it's time for me to reflect and it's time for me also usually to get direct feedback from customers and consumers. And, and it, in a way, helps me to try to understand what the future of the taste could be. You know, if people are asking for, for this type of style of, of taste, you know, this, and, and you see the tendency in food, um, I, th I think it's, a, it's, a, it's one of the ways to get a hint of what uh, the, the future of our, of our industry, of the wine, should be. And so I'm taking this. Uh, another, another element is that... Uh, Okay, Ruina is, is not the most international champagne house. We sell about 50% outside of France, but yet we are uh, in more than 80 countries. And in a way, we have to speak to a lot of different cultures. So, so I'm trying to figure out with my work, like how can we please, you know, German consumers and at the same time, Japanese customers. And, and, and of course, they are, quite, they are quite different, you know. Um, and, and having said that, uh, some countries are more inspiring than others. And I'm not saying this because, because this is, you know, uh, about Japan. But Japan has had a huge uh, influence on me uh, because there are some similarities in the approach I have about the taste of the Renard Champagne, about the style of the Renard Champagne, which is purity, precision, um, and what I call simplexity. You know, simplexity is, and that's so Japanese for me when you, I will take the example of sushi. You know, uh, nigiri sushi looks like the most simple thing for many people. But if you dig, if you dig, if you speak with, uh, uh, with the chef, uh, the complexity of the rice, you know, uh, making the rice the proper way, the seasoning, the cut of the fish, the origin of the fish, the size of, you know, the thickness, the amount of wasabi and everything, everything. At, at the end, you realize that this, this uh, uh, nigiri that you could eat in one bite is so mm -hmm. complex, but it looks in a way very simple. And I have the same feeling with Renard Champagne. It looks delicious. It's, it's very easy to appreciate, but behind the scene, there's a work of precision. You know, you can't, you can't make it so quickly. 
you need the experience, you need the expertise, and you need amazing grapes. Mm, interesting. I have to use that simplexity term. <laughs> it's it's mm. awesome. Um, yeah, and people say uh, French uh, cuisine's mindset is uh, addition versus Japanese reduction. But I think just like you described sushi, sushi is also combination, like layering, like a blending champagne, right? So I can see why you'd say uh, both have different similarities and differences at the same time. And um, at the end of the day, what you look for is the most purified version of the taste experience. So yeah, I totally agree. Mm. Okay, so um, do you have any uh, favorite Japanese food? I mean, regardless of pairings or whatever, you just have any... There, I have, I have either. I probably have too many. So, <laughs> so uh, I, I no, I would say what I like about the Japanese cuisine is more the concept of izakaya, where where it's so balanced. You know, I think for me, izakaya uh, takes into account the seasonality, all the elements of purity, precision, and the balance. And I think that's this I don't get in many places around the world. You know, mm. if not only in Japan, probably. Um, so, so of course, it would be easy to say, let's say, you know, I love sushi, I love sashimi, I love uh, tempura. I even love, uh, you know, takoyaki or, you know, it's more so like uh, okonomiyaki, sometimes simple things. But but what I really, uh, you know, rem- uh, remember from the ma- most amazing experiences when this, this the whole, the whole uh, dinner experience where, where it's so harmonious, uh, the setting also, and 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 the flow, and it's well, you know, the, and this cannot be matched so easily. You know, you can't you can't redo it so often. Mm. Right. Yeah. Interesting. So the concept of izaka is kind of but it's still foreign um, places like even to New York, but basically it's not um, one specific cuisine like sushi or tempura. It's like. Um, it compiled a menu, uh, wide variety of dishes, basically mm. um, home cooking, I mean, comforting and healthy food at the same time. And you can order anything from vegetables to meat to rice to noodles. And then the service is uh, good, kind of like your mom's house. And then the good energy. And of course, there's good sake. I'm sure that these guys serve champagne too, so... Yeah, it does. It does. It does. Yeah, but if I have to now, if I have to say one, I wouldn't say one one type of food, but one ingredient. I'm in crazy love with uni. <laughs> so, yeah, but you can find in France as well. Not as good as in Japan, of course, but decent uni here, and and also in the US, obviously. Mm, right. So uni, Sirjin. Um, I think it's universal, like in Italy or other places. But I think if you go to Hokkaido, for example, um, oh, yeah. it's it's ridiculously. Um, different colored or size or so anyway so uh we'll take a quick break here and when we come back we'll discuss how you can perfectly pair champagne with japanese food so please stay with us today's program is brought to you by corin a supplier of japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American, and that is why they are located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. 
Koin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view the exquisitely designed tableware and the well's natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services, from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Koin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit koin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Needs on Heritage Video Network, HRN. I'm your host, Aki Kotayama. My guest today is Frederick Panayotis, who is the chef de cave or cellar master of Ruinard. Ruinard is the oldest champagne producer and was founded in 1729. And Frederick has a deep understanding of Japanese culture and is fluent in Japanese. So, I still need to see you're very fluent and culturally very, very <laughs> uh, fluent too. So, Uh, so let's talk about what do you do now. So how did you get into this、um, amazing? You, know, you told me that you went back to your hometown to get into the champagne、uh, industry, but、um, you, you can't just decide and, you know, from, with the background of biology, you're going to go into champagne industry and be so success, successful, right? So what's the process? How did it happen? I, I fell in love、uh, with an amazing wine one day. It was at、uh, Christmas at my home, and my, my uncle had brought、um, uh, one of the top Grand Cru from Burgundy、um, called Richbourg、uh, from the 1976 vintage. And, I, and I, you know, this is many, many years ago, obviously, but I still remember the scene, the glasses, the taste of the wine, and it, it's my first wow wine. Now, I, I was drinking a bit of wine before, I was 21. But,、uh, but this wine was,、uh, wow, you know, something amazing. And a few weeks later,、um, in, with the school in Paris, we,、uh, when I was studying agronomy, I got a chance to、uh, go to Burgundy and Champagne、uh, for like three weeks and, 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 and with our teacher about、uh, winemaking and viticulture. And I, we had some amazing experiences. And, and I felt in love not only with the products, not only with the wines, but with the people, because the people we met were so passionate. Uh, willing to share, opening amazing wines for us, students, you know, with no money. We were not going to buy anything, but they were still very generous. And, 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 and I thought, I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that industry. I want to be part of that,、uh, you know, world. And so I decided to、um, specialize my studies into、uh, winemaking and viticulture. So I went to the south of France I, in a university. Uh, called, uh, in Montpellier.、Uh, and then I started to work in different places in the、uh, Northern Rhone. I went to California for three years and,、uh, and I came back to Champagne because this is where、uh, I found the, the making,、uh, you know, the crafting was、uh, so interesting.、Mm, right. Well,、um, it sounds like you were hit by the passion and the values、mm. that people believe in. of Making great wines and champagne. So、um, it makes sense because you are able to absorb all the passion,、uh, the feelings of the people, maybe because you got in champagne? Well, it was in me, I think. You know, in a way, because of the, my background, my family, you know, during the harvest、uh, every year in champagne, my, I had two uncles who were also、um, uh, like making a little bit of wine. My dad liked Burgundy as well. So, so I was, in a way, I was in an, in, in an environment with wine around me. And, and I also understood that I could,、uh, in winemaking, blend the scientific 
expertise or studies that I went through. You know, I was, I was passionate about mathematics, biology, as I said, physics, chemistry, geology, plants, everything. And, uh, and, and um, the tasting part, which, which is, um, in a way, very intimidating at the beginning. You know, you know when, I, when I joined the school in Montpellier to learn about uh, winemaking, my, my first experience with, uh, with the smell was disastrous. Uh, the teacher had, had laid, up, laid down uh, 80 different natural aromas, you know, like mushrooms. There was some truffle, I remember. I never smelled truffle before, so I could not recognize <laughs> it. I didn't know what it was tasting like. Uh, but like, you know, different kind of uh, uh, citrus fruits, different kind of orchard fruits, spices, different flowers. And I think I scored like, I don't know, 10 out of 80. I mean, I was, my, my nose was bad. But I, but I took it as a challenge. And, and this teacher about, you know, the, the, the tasting teacher was really an amazing guy. And, and, uh, and little by little, you know, um, being very attentive and very passionate about it, you know, I, I became a better taster. Um, and so, and again, this, this part is much more intuitive, you know, for, you need to learn, but, but there's always this part of, that is a bit personal, um, and, and you have to immerse yourself into it to, you know, to really understand it, I think. Mm. Well, this is uh, actually a very key question, I think, because you have to uh, remember the vintage in the past, right? Because champagne has to be always mm. consistent year by year. So you have to have a good memory of the components mm. of what's making that standard uh, best created flavors and tastes. So how, how do you remember those Flavors <laughs> is always to me. <laughs> My answer is very simple. When I, I mean, I don't know what you loved when you were at school, Akiko-san, but I'm sure you remember everything easily. You would get out of the class of, I don't know what it was, but it was easy because you loved it. Same with, same with, our, uh, with the wine, you know. You have to be in love. You have to be passionate. And then it's easy to remember. You know, I, uh, yeah, I, I can quote, I can, I can describe wines I've tried 30 years ago and, and yeah, I remember them because I, I really enjoy the moment. And, and so those, those strong moments, they, they stay in your memory. So, um, and, and then you develop this uh, memory for taste as well. It's something that can be really, uh, you know, developed and work. But, you, but again, you have to put your passion and your heart into it. Mm, okay. I'll keep it in mind. <laughs> You're right. I remember. Whatever I like, I can have detailed memories of what I really love. So you're right. So I have to expand my experience. <laughs> so, and uh, so tell us about Renard because it's a, such a special um, producer within mm. uh, the region of Champagne. So how do you call uh, the mindset or the style of Renard Champagne? Ha, huh, good, good point. Uh, if if I want to describe the style, uh, I, I often refer to it as a as a combination of aromatic freshness and I would say something like texture, but like a silky texture. Uh, and and those elements are, are very important to understand how we make the wine, uh, what varieties we use, uh, and why they please so many people. Um, you know, Ruinard was, okay, oldest champagne houses. Um, there are many facts that makes Ruinard quite remarkable. But one thing that uh, was always struck me with the history is, is Ruinard has often been a pioneer. And as such, often combining tradition and modernity. And that's something that we, we have in mind. We have the craftsmanship, we have the tradition, but all wines are a very modern expression of winemaking. And 
The style of the house is driven by the Chardonnay variety. So there are, there are three main varieties um, in Champagne, Chardonnay, uh, white variety, and then Pinot Noir and Meunier, two, two black varieties. I mean, the skin is purple, black, and then the juice is clear. But at Ruinard, but that's quite recent. It's only after World War II. We decided to uh, use a lot of Chardonnay to bring freshness, uh, lightness, uh, a form of accessibility in our, in our wines. And, and I have to thank the last owner of the house uh, who was uh, in charge. It was actually, yeah, of course, owning and in charge of Rina uh, from 1946 to uh, 1963. And, and I will quote what he told me because I was very lucky to meet him before he passed away. Uh, you know, he was still coming to... Uh, uh, Renard, his ex-office, and I, I was um, meeting him quite uh, frequently. And one day I asked him, uh, Mr. Muir, that was his name, Muir, uh, what do you, why is the reason behind the use of Chardonnay at Renard? And he told me something that makes me laugh today, which I find very true, but he told me, Frédéric, uh, I want my champagne to be enjoyable from 9 a.m. in the morning until mm. 9 a.m. the next morning, <laughs> which, which was so, such a perfect answer because he was, he was a visionary. You know, he, was, he had the idea of using Chardonnay when Chardonnay back in the days was not so common, but to use it a lot to, to make lighter champagnes, easier to drink with a beautiful definition. And we've remained true to this style and I've remained true to the style as well. For me, the fact that uh, Renard Champagne can be enjoyed in the morning, in the afternoon, late at night, that's something that I find very important. So I, I in order to do this, uh, we, what I, I like to say, we like to capture the fruit. So there is, we, we try, there's many ways to make champagne, but, but we try to not change the fruit quality so much. And, and our champagnes are non-vintage, Renard Blanc de Blanc, Renard Rosé, they're very much fruit driven. You know, champagne can be yeasty driven or, or have a, you know, maybe uh, flavors coming from a long time on the lees or from the use of oak. Or, or it's, it's very pure, you know. That's why sometimes I made this relationship with uh, or this comparison with uh, Japanese food because I find Japanese food to respect the ingredient a lot and to be probably the closest probably cuisine uh, when it comes to, to enhancing the pure quality of the ingredients. Mm, right. I mean, the, not to forget about the origin of Renoir. It was uh, like other champagne houses uh, started by a monk, and it's a natural mm. product. They harvest it from their, their yards, and then there you go. It's a beautiful, natural product. So, like, appreciating uh, every piece of the bounty from nature in Japanese cuisine, I think it makes sense that, you know, the expression of, especially Chardonnay, is known for being terroir. Uh, driven. And uh, I think someone who knows a lot about different kinds of soils and climate all over the world, you absorb and you are part of this whole champagne by yourself. So um, it's interesting that you said that you succeeded uh, the mindset from uh, the previous owner, but you're totally living it. So yeah, that's interesting. And by the way, not not because we are here. I, I love Renard because it's a, this kind of natural um, flow into your body, mm. and you don't have to think about it. It just comes in. And, yeah, uh, that's that's what I was trying to make. You know, I always say it's it's like if I make a comparison with a uh, with uh, uh, 
uh, music. Uh, it would be like uh, like uh, the jazz from uh, either Chet Baker or uh, even more Stan Getz. Mm. You know, it flows. It's easy. You don't need to be a specialist to like it. But of course, if you are, I mean, you know, this guy was a, Stan Getz was a was a super famous um, uh, saxophone player. But but it's, it's it pleases more crowd. So so and I understand that. There are a lot of amazing producers in Champagne, and, and I'm good friends with with a lot of them, and I love what they make. But but each one has his style, and I think our style is, in a way, accessible to many people. Mm, right. Okay, so let's talk about the pairings that mm. with Japanese food that you can totally convince people <laughs> who's listening to the show. So, some people know for being extremely versatile uh, when it comes to food pairings, not with Japanese too, but what's the key point of pairing food with champagne, first of all, before we go into Japanese food pairings? Well, I, I think champagne, generally speaking, is, is, is a delicate wine, you know, between the, uh, the way it's made, between the varieties, between the high acidity, typically, that is a um, characteristic of champagne. So it, it pairs better with lighter food, more delicate food, you know, like heavy super spicy, super heavy, super rich. It's better to go for something else, you know, like, uh, and there are so many great wines or sake in the world that you can find other pairings. So then a few ingredients that are very hard to match with champagnes, like everything that is, I would, I would say, too green. Uh, chocolate is very difficult. Um, anything, as I say, too spicy, too strong. Apart from that, champagne, you know, uh, um, can pair a lot of elegant food because it has that effervescence. And I think effervescence creates sometimes a link between the solid and the liquid. Uh, mm. And, and it, it tends to also, with the freshness, cut through uh, uh, some fatty ingredients. So, so champagne is very versatile. And also champagne is made in different ways. You know, you have uh, Blanc de Blanc, you have Rosé, you have Blanc de Noir, you have vintage, non-vintage. So there are a lot of different styles of champagnes as well. So when you put all of this together, the world is your oyster. Mm, right. Um, it's interesting because the champagne is uh, double fermented, right? The second in the mm-hmm. bottle too. And I think that is gentle to your body and to your palate. So I think that's another layer of the flavors because it's fermentation twice. And that makes you um, more prepared to eat and drink together. And that's the gentleness I always feel. Um, yeah, so um, based on that, how do you pair Japanese food with champagne? What, do we, what should we start with? Which Japanese food should we start with? <laughs> <Whatever> <laughs> so many want. examples. <laughs> in, okay, so I can start with something that, you know, that is, uh, people are, I mean, probably uh, most people uh, listening to us are familiar with. Tempura, um, I think tempura, but again, depending on, on the ingredient inside the tempura, but it has this crispy, light, uh, uh, the flavors are reminiscent of the, you know, like the breadcrumbs. Uh, that is very um, typical of champagne as well. I think I think tempura pairs so well with like Blanc de Blanc uh, champagnes uh, because of the lightness, the, uh, you know, in a way, elegance. And, and so that for me is like... Uh, an amazing match. Mm. If you go, 
Right. So the blan blan basically is only chardonnay that fruitiness, cleanliness right. Right. Yeah. of yeah. the grapes. So that's that makes sense. Uh, it improves. I, I will find another way to to pair uh, uh, blanc de blanc as well. Uh, if I would go into um, uh, fried food, uh, and and this is something we do here in Champagne. You know, when we have chicken, so like uh, uh, like karaage, I think with Champagne it's amazing again because of the crispiness and. Uh, uh, I just, it's a bit more in a way, uh, not maybe not as refined, uh, but it goes with like, let's say a non-vintage champagne with a blend of different varieties, you know, and same, same with tonkatsu. I think, you know, again, you might be surprised, but those, those um, uh, dishes that are maybe not as, in a way, refined as other Japanese food, I think they can go so well with champagne, you know, because mm-hmm. they make the, then they, the, the champagne in a way enhances the experience, you know. Right. <laughs> you feel very luxurious after eating like the, the, the tonkatsu <laughs> karage. Yeah, but it's amazing that, you know, both dishes use soy sauce and you don't really intuitively think soy sauce can go well with champagne, right? So Because of what- the umami. You know, we have this, as you mentioned, we have this second fermentation and we have the contact of the yeast. And uh, and so, something like there's a lot of amino acids uh, and, and I... Probably, you know, I'm, a, I'm not specialist of the composition and, and the taste of it, but I think, yeah, there is definitely some like umami related taste in, uh, in, in champagne, especially more like in vintage champagne. Mm-hmm. So, so, yes, that also probably makes another bridge uh, between, uh, between champagne and Japanese food. Right. Now, probably the most, uh, I mean, the most common pairing uh, that people think of uh, when they come to Japanese food would be obviously either sushi or sashimi with champagne. But in that case, I'm, I'm typically a bit more, uh, I try to be a bit more precise because, um, uh, you know, if you take uh, white fish uh, or, or, or blue fish or, um, or, or tuna, for instance, the pairings are totally different. I, I don't think you can, you can pair akami like you would pair uh, sayori like you would pair uh, sakana, you know, that, I mean, this would be, I mean, sakana, um, suzuki, I was going to say, or thai. Because because the texture is different, the taste is different, and so you have to be a bit more precise when it comes to the pairing with sushi. Because the sushis, they're such an array of flavor that they, in a way, deserve di- different kind of champagnes to make a perfect match. Mm, right, that's a great point because I think um, you know uh, from the beginning to the end of sushi uh, makasa menu, it's almost like from white fish to meat, mm. right? Yeah. And uh, for example, I, I really enjoy uh, akami tuna with mm. the gamay, um, good Beaujolais gamay grape. Mm. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. like the bloodiness of like the iron uh, goes so well with each other versus uh, like zuki, like you said, I definitely prefer something like champagne. So that's interesting. I was going to say, you know, you said umami goes well with champagne. So maybe something like miso can be good. Mm. Absolutely. Mm, wow. There's so much diversity uh, with the pairing with champagne. And uh, I, I found an article <laughs> in the interview, your interview article. I um, mean, Fritz, you said, in my fridge, uh, you always find lots of Japanese condiments such as soy, ponzu, and mirin. So can you comment on ponzu and mirin too? <laughs> uh, because I, uh, yeah, I make soba quite often or, uh, or udon, you know. Uh, okay, I don't make my own udon, but I buy them uh, and then I, and then I because it's, it's a quick fix and it's also very tasty. So yeah, so I, I make my own dashi typically, you know, I either uh, buy katsuoboshi or even have the the whole, um, the whole, um, uh, bonito, dry bonito with me. And, um, and yeah, so, so this is, 
again, um, I think the flavors, the ponzu as well is very beautiful because of the uh, the citrus fruit component in it. Um, yeah, I also have like sudachi juice. I have a uh, kabosu juice. I grow my own myoga and I still have myoga right now. <laughs> wow. In my garden. So uh, yeah, a lot of ingredients that can help me um, always, you know, to try to have the right, uh, anyway, uh, combination of flavors, um, you know, for like a quick fix. Mm. Oh, wow. Um, maybe you can write a book on how to pair champagne with Japanese food. I'm kind of how serious. So um, so how do you not to pair? Like anything you, you shouldn't pair with Japanese mm. food with champagne? Okay, I can I can give you a few examples. Uh, I, I know like, like, like in France, you love uh, oysters. Uh, but I find like raw oysters or shackled oysters to be often too salty to pair with champagne. Mm. Like I know this is a very, in a way, traditional pairing, but I don't like this pairing. I think the oysters always win. But you can do oyster tempura and then it works because it's, it's softer, you know. Mm. Um, so that, that, but the raw oysters, that's definitely something I would avoid. Um, something strong, but me, maybe it's, it's just me, but uh, I'm not a big fan of natto. I find it too strong. <laughs> so uh, this I would definitely, I mean, definitely, probably not, not pear. Uh, there are some vegetables sometimes that are very, very green, uh, like, you know, green in terms of bitter. Uh, in Japan, and and I find some of them being being a bit difficult. It's it's not that bitterness is always bad. Uh, I have the example of ayu, mm. where this the bitterness I think that comes from the liver, and it's uh, and it's so good. I think ayu and you know and champagne works works so well, but uh, but some vegetables are too strong. Mm. Right, but Japan has a lot of very strong vegetables too. So mm. interesting and. Well, it sounds like uh, like pot dishes, like a nabemono uh, with dashi can be good. And mm. um, I mean, I think this conversation uh, really makes us realize well, champagne can be very casually enjoyed, uh, not like for us. Yeah, takoyaki <laughs> and champagne, come on, this is so good. Every time I go to Osaka, I need to have takoyaki, preferably quite late with a bottle of Renard Blanc de Blanc. I think it's so good. Oh, wow. So listeners were not familiar with takoyaki. Basically, takoyaki is a, a wheat-based uh, casual balls. And at the center, there's a very soft textured uh, octopus. And mm. uh, the sauce is kind of rich. And uh, I think that's the fattiness of the sauce and the champagne goes well too. So um, it's just like a street food, the typical Osaka-style street food. But then champagne in the glass, that's so cool. I have to try that. <laughs> Right. So, um, well, uh, there's so many variations, but uh, as a producer of champagne, I heard climate change has become more obvious, uh, even in the champagne region. And I had, yeah. I heard you have to um, conquer the challenges you're facing every year, which is getting more difficult. So maybe you can share the story about what you were working well, on. Well, you know, climate change for us is a... Uh... It's nothing new, you know, uh, being in this industry for over 30 years. Uh, we've seen changes in Champagne where as early as, I would say, the mid-90s, uh, we had years. At the time, we didn't realize it was probably climate change, but we saw some new balance in the grapes. And so and then in the year, two, we had 2003, which was a big shock for uh, all of us in Europe and, and including Champagne, where we had 
three heat waves, one of them being very deadly, taking the lives of so many people because, you know, temperatures were so high, especially at night. So uh, to summarize something, so in 2003, we harvested in August, and, and it was probably the first time in the history of Champagne. When I was picking grapes when I was young, it was typically late September, in October also, so, you know, like a month, at least a month later. But since 2003, we've had six more harvests in August. So what used to be extremely rare is now becoming not quite the norm, but, but going through the norm. So, so we see the change uh, associated with, uh, uh, with global warming and climate change, particularly here in Champagne. And so what it does besides uh, making the harvest, uh, uh, you know, being in August and, or, or early September, it also changes the, the balance in, in the grapes. And um, and as you mentioned earlier, you know, our our one of the know-how of champagne is to be able to blend every year and make your your non-vintage champagne, whether it's blanc de blanc or regular brut or rosé, taste nearly the same year after year. But with climate change, it's becoming uh, more and more challenging. And so, a few years ago, my my boss challenged me uh, about the style of the house, and he told me, Frederic, how are you going to maintain the style with the climate change? You know, you're always cl- talking about aromatic freshness, but can you, do you think you can do it forever? And it, I have to say, you know, it, it did something to me and I was like, okay, let's, let's try to process this and, and what, what could we do? So we decided to, in the warm years, uh, select some wines, put them aside and create a new blend from it. And so we created uh, in 17 for the first time, but, uh, but 18 is the true uh, first uh, uh, cuvee of this uh, wine called Blanc Singulier, which is really um, uh, a proof in a way, like a champagne proof of what's happening in the vineyard, you know. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a Blanc de Blanc, but it's richer, made from the ripest tanks uh, with no dosage um, and has a quite a different style from the regular Blanc de Blanc. It's still, it's still very beautiful, still quite elegant, but there is more richness to it. Uh, it's it's not yet in Japan. Uh, it would be introduced next year, I think, in Japan. Mm. Uh, very limited yet, but it's it's really a living proof, you know, like a testimony uh, of climate change. So it's it's a champagne with a message as well. It's like we want to say, listen, and we're not the only one. Now, of course, everybody in Champagne is is going through this as well. But um, but but we wanted to have a champagne with a message to the to the consumers, to our customers. Say, listen, things are changing. So you know, everybody needs to do. Uh, um, in a way, whether it's individually or with a company or with politics, but everybody needs to make things change. You know, like in terms of your, your impact on the planet needs to be uh, needs to be lowered. So that's that's for us a way to show that um, uh, the, the change is a reality. It's also um, uh, a way to show that we can still make champagne. You know, okay, the the, the climate is getting warmer, uh, but it doesn't mean that we're not going to make champagne at least for another 50 years, I think. We'll see in the future. Maybe in the long future, we will make more steel wines because the climate will be more uh, prone to make steel wines. But, but, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really quite important for people to understand, for consumers to understand that uh, in all vineyards in the world, things are changing. Right. Well, that uh, really indicates that the Reno's new kind of style of champagne is the indication that Reno's is always a pioneering and exactly. flexibly adjusting to what's happening because we can't <laughs> can't say there's nothing happening. It's true, and uh, you said no dosage means that 
the grapes are so ripe that you don't have to add sugar, even in the right. northern part of France. So um, I think it's, and I got to taste that new style of champagne as well. And it was amazing. So why not? I think um, change is hard. People tend to look back and it used to be good, but it's not the case because your champagne, new style of champagne is amazing. So maybe it's not always bad to have this kind of change. So yeah, so again, wait to see what's going to happen, you know, over the, over the course of the uh, next 10 years, 20 years, uh, how we know product um, is going to inspire other champagne producers or anybody in this uh, who's ch- facing this climate change. So, um, so what are your plans and dreams? <laughs> my plans is to, uh, what are my plans? My, my current plans now is to... Uh, Work on the on the harvest we just uh, put in the tanks and uh, create, uh, you know, the Renard blends this year. So that's the that's the that's the plan, uh, the immediate plan. Um, and my plan is to is to I don't know in how many years, but to give the key of the of the cellar to my successor. You know, I'm getting uh, I'm getting uh, in the age where I need to think about uh, retirement, about my next life, and and of course the transition is very important because this. Uh, the position of chef de cave is 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 a position that uh, brings stability uh, to the house in terms of you know the style is so important. So I will need to spend some time with uh, the, the the person who is going to uh, to take my position and and make sure that the transition is very smooth. So that's that's in I would say the plan for the for the uh, next few years. Uh, dreams, dreams is probably for after, uh, dreams. If I talk personal dream is probably to find a place where I can enjoy, uh, my time. And one of my favorite activity is free diving. Mm. And actually I'm thinking of going to Okinawa, uh, very soon to see if it could be a possible place where I could spend some, you know, uh, time in the, in the long future. Mm. But so. I heard Okinawa is the dream place for divers, so... Hopefully, mm. and good food, and you can bring and a lot good of champagne. Food and, yeah, <laughs> so so that could be a dream. I don't know. I will see. You know, there's. I'm a, I'm not such so much of a dreamer because I'm uh, probably too busy with things. But uh, maybe I should take more time to, uh, you know, to think about it. But yeah, I, I, I know I do have maybe you know dreams of doing different things in the future. Um, you know, maybe making a little bit of my own wine or or using my expertise for for different things and helping people so yeah i will see you know there will mm-hmm. uh, there's this but right now i'm very very busy with work so that's uh, and i'm happy with it right i think you're living in your dreams so that's well, why you in don't a way. <laughs> yeah i'm very yeah no but you you absolutely touching a point you know like i i don't feel like sometimes i don't feel i i work you know I, like i'm i'm happy to go to wake up every day and go to work because i don't feel like i work you know it's my passion so yeah, I am living a dream. That's for sure. Mm, right. That going back to one of your students when you visited the wineries and the champagne houses, these are the passions and dreams that you mm. succeeded from them. Right. So that's amazing. So all right. So keep me posted, and um, maybe you can come back and then discuss more. Uh, maybe your quinoa food pairings with champagne or oh, your own yeah, wine. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait to try some of the quinoa specialties. So. Right. Okay, so where can we find your updates online and on social media? Uh, we do, we're pretty active on Instagram. Uh, there, we have two two uh, accounts. One of them is more about the house. It's uh, just Ruinard. And, and one of them is with my team. It's, uh, it's called Ruinard Winemakers. 
where we it's more geeky. We tell about you know what's going on in the cellars, uh, some new products, what we are trying to do in our vineyards with biodiversity. Something I forgot to mention is a. Uh, is with climate change, we see the, bio the biodiversity being, you know, uh, affected. So we are trying very hard to re-establish more biodiversity in our vineyards by planting uh, hedges, trees, um, doing things with the soil and everything. So this is, if you're a wine geek, and even not if you're a wine geek, uh, there's some very cool information there. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, those, those would be our two active. We're on Facebook uh, as well as Winar. And of course, on our website, um, if, let's say if you want to come to Champagne and visit uh, Winar, I think you go through the website and can check um, the availabilities to visit our magnificent cellars. Mm. Well, I saw pictures and it looks amazing. So, yeah. They're so, unique. <laughs> they are really unique. You go, you go nearly 40 meters underground. It's such a silent world with uh, thousands and thousands of bottles uh, patiently aging. There is a bit of art as well because the other part of Winar is uh, actually it's including in the name art. Uh, we we do a lot of things with contemporary art. Um, you know, we we like let's say in New York with Freeze, uh, with Los Angeles as well, but also in France, also in Japan with Kyotography. So, so we do have that passion for art. We've had it for a long time. And so, yeah, this is, it's, it's a very cool, uh, uh, very beautiful cellars to visit with a bit of art as well. Mm, great. All right. So, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Rick. And uh, hopefully I'll see you here again uh, in New York or I'll see you on your maybe 50th trip to Japan or something like that in the <laughs> near future. I hope so. Right. Okay, so listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for short topics or guests, please contact us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org or at kikotemat.com. Japanese is a weekly program and is always available at heritageradionetwork.org as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer is Armin Spencham. Thanks for listening. I will see you next week. Banyates is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.